Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. In today's text, various characters start to express their internal thoughts and motivations. Rather than break them into who is bad and who is good, instead let's consider how their responses were very human and normal. What can we learn about being honest with the Lord with what is going on inside of us? Let's join Curtis as he looks at the end of John 11 and the start of John 12. Um, Hey, this week we're going to look at John chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, going into John chapter 12, if you'd like to turn to it in um, your Bible. Those of you listening online, good morning, welcome to you. I invite you to join us some Sunday via Zoom. Just send a note on the email or through the contact button and we will send you the Zoom link. So last week I went camping with my buddy Peter, as most of you know. Got it? So yeah, I was camping with my buddy Peter, and we canoed for several days exploring some uh, lakes in northern Ontario. Then we kayaked down a river for a day and back, and then we hiked through Lake Superior Park for a couple days, and we had just an absolutely wonderful week. And I hadn't been in person, like in real life, with Pete, who's one of my best friends, for three years because of COVID. And so there was this concern of, are we going to get along? And, uh, And it was great that there was no moment of needing to figure out how to do this. Like, as soon as we bumped it, like, as soon as we saw each other, we were back in the groove and in sync. Um, so just, it, that was great. Just had a great time with my buddy. So on the Wednesday to Thursday, we camped from, on a kayak trip. Uh, and so I've never done that, use a kayak as the boat to go and do an overnight camp. So I was using his kayak, which I've never been in before. And I've never packed a kayak for an overnight trip before. And I hadn't had enough sleep the night before. And I got into the boat and I wasn't thinking straight. And I, oh, I had to fight with the back strap to get it to work. And I had to fight with the foot braces, which were different than the one in my boat. And, I, and it's a kayak, so I had to figure out how tippy this is while I'm on the water. And um, the boat and I did not get along at all. Once we got out into the lake, there was a mild tailwind and I fought this boat every paddle. So it's a kayak, right? Double paddle. And I would take three strokes on the right to get it to try to be straight. One stroke on the left and we're going to the right. And if I wasn't meticulous on paddling on the right hard, I would just go in circles. Um, and if I got really angry and pulled really hard to the right so that it moved a little too far to the left, the wind or the current would take it, and I'd be sideways to the left. So this just went on, and I, um, I started to get angry. <laughs> uh, and I kept telling myself as it was happening, you're making yourself angry. Don't do this. Calm down. Nobody's at fault here. Work the problem. And it, it just kept going on, and I'm fighting and I'm fighting. And uh, you know, if you've been in a kayak, if it's not quite set right, your, your feet fall asleep. So but every 30 minutes, my feet are asleep. I've got to find land to get out of this boat, to get my feet working. And I would, um, I'd be huffing and puffing because I was using full strength. So I'd be getting out of the boat, trying to get my legs to work, trying to get my heart to calm down, and then get back in the boat and do it again. And Pete uh, was a little bit further away in the lake. And so I'd catch up with him. And I wouldn't yell at him. I wasn't blaming him. Um, I didn't say anything hurtful. <laughs> But I was angry. And it was that? I did not use those words. 
but he heard me express my anger towards this boat. <laughs> so I am being pushed to my limit, right? And I'm feeling overwhelmed by the whole experience and I'm tired. I'm feeling incompetent in this boat and I can boat. I'm feeling incompetent. I'm using all of my power uh, I'm getting sore and it's still not working. Um, and, and if I ever just stopped in the river and say, I'm done, the boat would turn into a circle. And I went, so about halfway through the day, I started to apologize for my attitude. Like, Pete, I know I'm being a jerk right now. I, this is most of the boat. I said, there's nothing, I'm just, I'm in that space. And at the end of the day, he said, you know, it's good. I'm thankful that we have a strong enough friendship that we can come back from a day like that. I'm like, no, that's very kind of you. Have you ever had that experience where you're just pushed to a limit and not pleasant stuff comes out of you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, like it comes out of, even if you're not saying it, your posture is not the best. So in the passage we read today, what I was drawn to in the text was that the inner state of people in the text is starting to come out of them. It's leaking out of them. And their motivations, their feelings are, are being exposed. And they're not all great. So in the passage we look at, we're going to start by seeing it in the Jewish ruling council, which has not been supportive of Jesus at all. And they have now hit the edge of what they can handle about this Jesus guy. And then we're going to look at Mary, and she has just had her brother raised from the dead, who has been dead for four days. And if he was, like the story, you know, we always hear about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. If Lazarus was the only guy in the house, he would have been the protector, the, the socially recognized head of that house. If he died and there was no other male, they'd have been vulnerable. So the fact that Jesus brought him back to life would have brought a gush of emotions. And then we're going to look at Judas, who also lets slip his uh, motivations. And we see the start of how he will play a role in the, in the end of Jesus' life. And then we're going to end with the crowd, and it's erupting in its exuberance and its thoughts about Jesus. So, so in all these characters, we're going to see kind of that inner world spilling out in an unprotected, a little bit vulnerable kind of way. With me? So we're going to start on chapter 11, verse 45. Uh, and just to remind you, the passage last week, Jesus had just brought Lazarus back to, to life. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish ruling council. What are we accomplishing they asked, here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. Do you not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. 
Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pound of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth 300 denarii. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. So we'll stop there. The Jewish council this is upset and fed up, and they're taking decision. And at a dinner for Jesus, Mary gushes with thanksgiving. And then Judas has his inner thoughts spill out of him, although he masks it with some words. And then the crowd is erupting at Jesus, all leading into the Passover feast. I get a sense of uh, there's just this pressure building in the story. Now, I don't want to divide these characters into good guys and bad guys. Instead, I want to look at how very human all of their responses were. So let's start with Caiaphas, back in uh, chapter 11, verse 45. Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Sanhedrin. They say, what are we accomplishing? 
Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our nation, uh, sorry, take away our place and our nation. So what's at stake here is their sovereignty or their partial sovereignty, their independence under Rome. People are going over to Jesus. They're getting behind Jesus. And the question is, is Jesus building a following that will lead to an uprising, that will lead to a revolt against Rome. And the Pharisees and, the, and the, the Sanhedrin appear to be thinking that way, that Jesus is preparing to lead a rebellion. And their concern is, while there might not be a lot of Roman soldiers in Jerusalem in that moment, there is a legion of Roman soldiers not that far above them in Syria. Um, and that legion of soldiers, if there's trouble, they would be glad to storm in, take over, and kill everybody and anybody they think is involved. And the leaders of the community don't want that to happen. It had happened. It had happened in their recent past. So the Sanhedrin are thinking, if Jesus and his crowd catch the attention of the Romans, we're in trouble. we got to subdue this. It's kind of like if you're walking home at night and the street you're on is safe, and so you're okay, but you know that the street over has had a lot of recent gang activity and violence. It's like you're not on that street, but you're trying to stay out of anybody's attention, and you're like, you don't want to catch anyone's attention, you just want to get home. It's kind of like that. There's danger there. Let's just keep things quiet. So Rome will come and will take away both our place and our nation. And it's unclear to me what the word our place is referring to. Some scholars believe it means the temple. The Romans will come and destroy the temple or take away our ability to worship the Lord. But other scholars believe it means their standing in society, that we will lose our status. They will take away our role as priests and leaders of this nation. Even Caiaphas, who was the high priest, could be removed from his office by the Caesar. If Caesar didn't like something that Caiaphas did, you just take him away. So Caiaphas is like, let's calm it down. Let's go back to normal. Let's just shush the whole crowd. But notice it doesn't say Rome will come and destroy our place. Rather, Rome will come and take it away from us, which to me speaks about loss. This is a fear of losing. And this is where I see the ruling council behaving just like human. Like this is how we behave. We fear losing. We fear losing out. We fear losing what we have. We fear, uh, we fear letting go of what we want to have. We fear losing the life we're trying to build. We fear losing. And that fear has gripped them. And the truth that counters this fear that, that I've been pondering is that Jesus knows what the deeper and more satisfying call of your heart is. Um, he knows what is the good desire within your heart. He knows also how that gets twisted and what's the harmful desire within you. And Jesus is working to speak to that good desire and to satisfy it. And he's working to break you free from the stuff you're holding on to that actually isn't going to satisfy you. So it's interesting that when Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey, the scriptures that are quoted, which is Psalm 118 and Zechariah 9, those passages talk about the
the coming of a king who will bring peace to the land. Those passages refer to a king who will come and end war and remove the enemy and set free those who are trapped and restore the land. So the very thing the Sanhedrin were afraid of, of being overpowered and conquered by the enemy, was the very thing that these passages say Jesus came to address. But he would do it not in the way they thought he would do it. Jesus gives us what our heart is calling out for, but you have to let go of what you want or how you want that to be done in order for him to give it to you. So, I'm craving a chocolate bar. No, what you're craving is to be satisfied. Let go of the chocolate bar and come follow me. I'm craving relationship. No, what you're craving is to share love. Let go of what you're holding on to and come share love with me and be satisfied. I'm craving wealth and money. No, what you're craving is security. Let go of your pursuit of wealth and money and find security with me. But instead, they choose to arrest Jesus and kill him. In 53, it says, from that day, they made a resolution to put him to death. So they didn't say, let's go get Jesus and bring him to trial. Instead, it was more a sense of that was his trial. He wasn't there, but that was his trial. We've decided to kill him. Now let's go carry out the judgment. So it's interesting in the book of John, there's no real trial in the rest of the book. That was it. So let's move on. Let's talk about Mary in chapter 12. There's a dinner given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, which I, just, I love that sentence because, you know, she gets criticized for serving. But now in the right setting, she's serving. I love it. Jesus, uh, Lazarus is at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took about a pound of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So a Roman pound is about half a liter of perfume. This is a block of butter. This is just short of a block of butter. I've cut it to be about a Roman pound. So it, it was pure nard. Nard rhymes with lard. Lard reminds me of butter. Ergo, butter. <laughs> Imagine this much like greasy, oily perfume being poured on someone's feet, how strong that smell would be. And I was thinking, if this was a block of cinnamon and I put it on someone's feet, oh, the house would smell like cinnamon. You ever walk through one of those stores where they've got those pine cones scented with cinnamon and, and you're like, that hurts. Just, <laughs> I love cinnamon, it's too strong. Or imagine if this was crushed garlic, how strong that would be. Um, what what Mary's doing is an extravagant, over-the-top perfuming of Jesus' feet. I'm going to leave it there because we're going to refer to that in a second. And then she undoes her hair and wipes his feet with it. That is a deeply intimate action. A woman in Rome always, always, always had her hair up. Um, to undo her hair in public was very attention-getting. And I was thinking... I mean, this is not our culture, right? So imagine that you're, you are in an indoor public setting. Imagine you're at a library or a community center or you're at a restaurant for dinner. And over there, a couple of booths away, 
a guy stands up and takes his shirt off. It's not sexual, but everybody would notice that he's taken his shirt off. And some people would start to feel a little uncomfortable. And then imagine that guy using his shirt to clean his friend's hands while he cried on those hands to wet them. The room would become silent. And some people would look down to give the guy some space. And other people, their eyes would dart back and forth looking for cues, how do I respond to this? Like That's kind of what's happened. Mary is doing something that is uninhibited and vulnerable as she expresses her gratitude and devotion to Jesus. It's extreme, but she's just had her brother restored to life who was dead and buried for four days. Have you ever had that experience where you are so thankful or you're so happy, you kind of lose some self-control or you lose a little bit of restraint and you say something or you do something that is just extreme, vulnerable, and later you think, oh, I can't believe I actually did that. And in response, Jesus is just pleased. He's just pleased with that kind of vulnerability. But then we see Judas. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth 300 denarii. Now, before we condemn Judas, let's just go back to what he witnessed. This pound of nard, butter, was worth 300 denarii. A denarii is a day's wages. So that's a, day, that's a year's wages in perfume. So the average income for a single person in Canada is fifty dollars to $60,000. That's medium. Imagine if whatever I'm holding here was worth $60,000. And I just pull this out. Wouldn't there be a spark of something in your eye? Oh, what is he? It'd be a block of gold. But could you imagine the spark in your eye? Holy cow, that's a lot of money he's got in that object. And then Judas watched her pour it over Jesus' feet. Wouldn't that seem a bit like a waste? Yes. So he says, we could use this to help the poor. But inside, I imagine his heart has latched onto the value of that perfume. And he's so excited at what that money could get him if he could get a hold of that money. I could use that to get my, my life. My life could be better. You know that at times we see something that we want and we just latch on. And we, again, lose kind of control or restraint and we say something stupid or we do something stupid because we've locked onto what that is. I think that's what's happened. And to be honest, I think all of us, if we saw something of that value put in front of us, there'd be a little bit that would jump. Our heart would skip. Look at the value of that thing. So I want to talk about this kind of being vulnerable before the Lord because Mary chose to be vulnerable. Judas was vulnerable a little bit unexpectedly for, I'm sure, himself. One of the things I've learned recently is to talk with the Lord about areas that I will struggle in in my discipleship before I get to them. And that's a vulnerable conversation with Jesus. To have an honest conversation and say, to, to talk with Jesus and say, when I get to this situation, I'm going to behave like that. 
And I know you know that. I don't want to admit that to you, but I know this is how I am. And so in my prayers and in my conversation with Jesus, I've been saying, while my thinking is clear, I will pray that in that moment that this will happen, that because this will be in line with your will. Um, when I get to that situation, I know I'm going to want whatever. So before I get there, I pray that this, other, this thing will happen because this is your will. Um, and it's like, it's like, it's being honest with God, but it's kind of like um, preloading before you get to the situation. So when I get to the situation, I've already been praying about this for a while. So my heart is already attuned, and I know that Jesus is listening, and there's just more with me to avoid going where I don't want to go. Do you know that song, the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? I listened to it the other day, and the line that struck me was, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I just thought, that just struck me as so truthful that I am prone to wander. And so in that vulnerable prayer to say, Lord, when I'm in this situation, I am prone to wander this way. Before I get there, I will pray your will for me that, in that direction. So Lord, when I'm lonely, I will eat a chocolate bar. Lord, when I'm lonely, I'm gonna eat a bag of chocolate bars. So before I get there, well, let's be honest. Uh, before I get there, I will pray that I will honor you with my body. Lord, when I get to that moment, remind me to sit with you and to tell you about my loneliness. You know, I know that in, so for me, um, you know, my best friend lives in one province, my family lives in another province. When I come back from those events, there's always this, what am I doing in Manitoba? So before I get home to pray, Lord, I know when I get home the day after, I'm going to bottom out. So rather than grabbing, I won't eat a chocolate bar, I'll eat a bag of cookies. I will make a batch of cookies and eat them. Before I get there, instead, remind me to sit with you with my loneliness. Like, it's, 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 it's um, being vulnerable and truthful and choosing the response. Make sense? One of the things that's clear in this text, I'll end with this, is that while people said and did one thing for one reason, sorry, that while people said and did something for one reason, God intended it for another reason. So Caiaphas says it's better that one man die for the nation than the whole nation to perish. And he's referring to being attacked by Rome. And God intends it to be about dying for sin. And Mary intends to offer this gift of thanksgiving, but God intends it to be anointing for Jesus for his work on the cross and for his burial. And people are celebrating that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, but God intends it to be about fulfilling ancient prophecies to say that the Messiah is come and he will save us from sins. And even this little moment that sneaks out of Judas sets us up to understand something's not right in his heart. What if those moments where this stuff spills out of us are exactly what God intends to happen? Like, what if it's exactly what needs to happen so that something gets revealed and so that we can see it clearly? When I got mad at the kayak, uh, the next day it led to a conversation. And, um, and Pete is really good at analyzing and making clear statements on what he observes. 
So we were in the car and he said, you see the world like this and I see the world like that. And it's like, oh yes, I, that's exactly how I see the world. And I'm not gonna tell you the details because uh, that's my business. <laughs> well, no, he said, you see the world as unsafe and I see the world as safe. And I'm like, oh yeah, I totally see the world as unsafe. And then, he, and then it quickly moved into stages in child development. And this is how you think. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how I think. And, and it, as soon as I was responding to his comments, I'm like, oh, there's a wound from my childhood that's not healed yet. And it became so clear. And then the conversation was, you know what? We've hit this wound many times in our friendship. Whenever you behave like this, this wound triggers in me. So maybe the anger in the kayak had to happen so that I could see this issue within me so that now I can face it. Maybe this stuff spills out of us at times because God wants it to spill out of us so we can see it and then we can look at it, address it, and make some decisions. So let me conclude. The Jewish council was afraid of losing their place, their nation, and yet Jesus offered them exactly what their heart was actually looking for, freedom from enemies. How often are we afraid to let go of what we want, and yet Jesus is there trying to offer us what our heart is calling for? Mary does this vulnerable, intimate act of thanksgiving, and Jesus is pleased. Judas looks at it and sees a year's worth of money right in front of him being poured on someone's feet. How would you respond in that moment? And in your own vulnerability before the Lord, you can talk about where you know you will stumble and pray for a better way before you get there. And all of this passage, for me, dances around this theme of what's inside spilling out. Maybe God intends for it to happen so that we can see what is within. So what has caught your attention this morning, either in the text or what I've said? What has caught your attention this morning? Um, I'm just thinking of Martha again. I love that you just highlighted her serving in the background. But I am just so tickled that she didn't come out and interrupt that whole scene and say, what are you doing? That is like, how are we going to live? You know, or that was set aside for this. So, you know, from what we know of her before, you know, who knows what happened. Maybe she didn't even know this had happened and she's busy doing her thing and she would have freaked out. That's a possibility. <laughs> Do you smell cinnamon? <laughs> but I'm going to imagine that she learned from her last encounter with Christ when he uh, said, hey, uh, you leave her alone. She's doing the right thing here. And then she's just doing her thing in the background, allowing this scene to unfold and someone else to respond in a way that she's not supposed to control or make look different. So anyways, that's just a wondering. And, and partly I get there because that's my thing about trying to not control others so that outcomes are what I think that they should be or, or harm is prevented the way I think it needs to be. So, Cool. Two thoughts. Just reflecting on your ideas of talking to Jesus about our discipleship and our response when you get to a situation that you, that you know is coming. And um, I guess I probably have, I probably practice that in a very blurry kind of way a little bit, but I think this brings focus to that picture uh, in a new way. So thank you for that. Second of all, 
I'm learning to talk a little bit more about uh, my journey of, of transformation. And uh, that's been a real blessing to me, both to hear it in others and also to share it myself. And for me, one of the things that, that Jesus has been teaching me is that when he teaches me something, he wants me to put it into practice. And that might sound very simple, but what I like to do is when I learn something, I like to put it in my library because then I have it as a reference book so that I can pull it out so I can look good in front of others. Or sometimes I pull it out to be helpful or sometimes I, I, I pull it out so I can teach others even though I'm not practicing it myself. And so Jesus' instructions to me have been when I teach you something, I want you to put it into practice. It's for you. And so uh, that's a little bit where I'm at. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Neat. What I found really remarkable about that passage is that Jesus knew from day one that Judas was a thief. He knew when he stole for the first time and the second time and the third time and the tenth time. And he never, re never confronted him. Very interesting. Why would he put up with all that? My initial reaction when I see a guy stealing is to jump on him immediately and stop it and give him a lesson. Right? But Jesus didn't. The question is, why didn't he? Because something was more important than confronting him about his stealing, I think. Hmm. Neat. I wasn't sure how I felt about today's, <laughs> about your message, uh, but then <laughs> took me a while, I guess, as I heard everyone come up. Um, I appreciate that you broke down essentially different people's perspectives and different people's experiences. And in particular, you danced around the idea of the, the internal world, which before I came to Christ, I did a lot of searching in other religions and philosophies. And I will say one of the things that I always found interesting with the Christian faith is Jesus, I feel like, speaks a lot about this, this deep understanding of your internal, like th that, I, that I sit with you. But the Christian faith kind of practices a very external experience of God. Um, and this is interesting because even just seeing people come up, there's almost like... Uh, people operate in like the way they should think and the way they should feel. And we've been given this like, like dogmatic view of like, if you were a good Christian, you wouldn't struggle with these thoughts or, you know, anyways, or if you were connected with God, you wouldn't. And uh, anyways, I enjoyed today's service because each of us had different questions and different things. And I think that there's extreme value in being honest, in internally, I, I actually feel this way, even though I follow Jesus and even though I, you know, am connected. And there's like a little piece in all of us that I feel like, if we're more honest, that I would play God if I was allowed, but I came to this faith because I know I'd be a bad God. Um, here are all the ways I tried to play God this week. Um, I don't know. I, anyways, I just really appreciate it. And I really appreciate hearing what people are, are experiencing and, and learning and that I, that I can bring that encouragement is, is uh, 
fills me with a lot of humility and grace. So I just, I just really appreciate oh, that. Um, and, and I hear you in the teaching and referencing rather than applying. I also yeah. do that. That was good. That's good. That's great. I, I, um, there's something there that is deep and profound that when you stop being honest with yourself and your walk with God, you see shallow out. And that's not what the world needs. Yeah. Really, I really appreciated what you said. Do you I do. You should hear my internal world sometimes. <laughs> or what I'm like when I'm paddling a kayak going to the right all day. And yeah, it's right that, you know, Christianity as a whole puts a great emphasis on what we do. And in my way of thinking, not enough on who we are. And Jesus talks about who we are, that we are to be transformed, not just change what we do, change who we are. You know, a little thought that comes to mind in all this, you know, about Mary. You know, my perception of things is that Jesus' followers were not people of means. Where did she get the money to buy this? Well, that's just it. And commentators have suggested, like, it's a huge amount of money. Yeah. And in Bethany is uh, the house of the poor. Like, that's, it's yeah. known, it's called the house of the poor. So was this an inheritance? Was this, like, where did this come from that you'd have a year's worth of yeah. money in a perfume? Like, yeah. Great. Unless you're right, it was an inheritance saved for so-and-so's burial or something. Yeah. Interesting question. That's great. Let me offer a prayer. Father, uh, Father God, you are so good. And Jesus, I appreciate how accessible you are. Um, and Holy Spirit, I love how you guide my own thinking. You, you give me the prompts that I need to, to speak and to understand. Lord, it is wonderful that we can be broken and um, vulnerable with you and that um, you, you know what we're like and you call us to be honest. And yet you also call us to be transformed and to live holy and to be your representative. Thank you that, I praise you that you can take the complexity of us and use it and use it for your glory and move us forward in it. Father, thank you for this gathering the time we've had together thank you for the way you have encouraged us and the way you have heard our prayers thank you that we get to visit with each other and just build each other up and stay connected as we journey through life um, may we bring a smile to your face uh, as we seek to be your people on earth so to your glory i pray and in your name amen Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom. Please use the Contact Us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or Zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, 
please send us an email.